1 Timothy 2, verses 1-7. through Here's the Word of the Lord. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. It is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. It's the Word of the Lord. Do you know what our community, our city, our world craves more than anything else? Do you know what it is? It's to be known. It's to be known. It's to be understood. It's to be represented faithfully. And we spend our lives trying to figure that out. We spend our lives trying to figure out what it looks like for us to be known. And I was thinking about how much people matter to God this week as I was looking at this text. Um, And I caught myself in several different environments with people. caught myself um, in the hospital with one of our parishioners with um, some unforeseen illnesses that, that, that they were facing and us just seeking God together. I found myself in... Uh, my driveway with a neighbor that I've been trying to connect with for four years that came to me and wanted to talk. I found myself uh, in a missional community meeting in my living room with a living room full of people who were seeking God together. I found myself in the bunk beds uh, with my boys putting them to bed at night. Uh, and they were extremely exhausted because uh, they had been playing so hard and we, we prayed together and they went to sleep. I found myself rocking Maggie Grace in the, in the rocking chair as she fell asleep. And I found myself connecting with my wife on the couch uh, at, at the end of a long day. And uh, I was reminded that every time that we spend time with God's people, God's creation that He says is very good, that's a special moment. It's an invitation for us to see God uh, in a new uh, way. And, and because Jesus lives in me, because Jesus lives in us, what God does is He begins to birth His heart for the world around us as we grow and walk in Him. And my hope is that today that we'll gain more of God's heart for ourselves. That we'll, we'll, we'll realize that even though we'll never, be, we'll never have the full realization that we're known by God this side of eternity because we can't see Him face to face, that we'll see that God... God is making uh, Himself known and helping us discover ourselves in light of Him every single day. And because of that, we can walk with grace and mercy and purpose as we encounter image bearers of God. No matter their political agendas, no matter their sexual orientation, no matter the color of their skin, God loves people. And God wants to give us a burden for His people. This is what the Word of God says today. And I want us to dig into it. So here's the big idea of where we're going today. Prayer aligns us with the heart of God by giving us a burden for the world. Prayer aligns us with the heart of God by giving us a burden for the world. 
So what I've noticed is that in this text, really the, the responsibility of us is to pray, but it's to pray so that we'll worship God instead of worshiping ourselves. And so kind of the, uh, the, way, the way that this sermon kind of delineates is that worship is the aim, prayer is the power, and mission is the vehicle. So God wants to bring us into alignment with His will and His plan for the world. I've noticed in my life that prayer is a uh, diagnostic that God uses to bring me into alignment with the self. So here's how it works out. I usually start praying and I pray about X, Y, and Z and ask for God's will to be done and for Him to, to, to answer my request. And you know what almost always happens? God reveals something in my heart that's kind of off-center. That's, that's, a, that's a couple clicks to the left or to the right of where His will is. And so then I kind of walk down this, this pathway of repentance and faith. So prayer, what prayer does, according to the Scriptures, is it brings us into alignment with God. That's why we pray. Because you and I, kind of out of the chute, aren't in alignment with God. We need to be brought into alignment with God. So let's look at the first point here from 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2 that Brandon prayed through earlier. The Scriptures say this, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. All people there means all types of people. So as we think about the, the context of the series that we're in, this, this series about us growing up as a church, God is expanding His mission. The mission was toward the Jews in the Old Testament. Jesus comes on the scene, opens it up to the Gentiles as well. So Paul is noticing in the Scripture, what we see in the Scriptures, that Paul is noticing that the prayers of the church in Ephesus, as he's writing to Timothy, that they're pretty self-absorbed. They're pretty self-centered. And that, and that the heart, their heart is reflected in how they're praying. And that's true for all of us. Our heart is exposed. It's reflected in how we pray. And so he's seeing, hey, they kind of have some self-absorbed prayer. They're not really praying the will of God because the will of God is for all people. It's for all types of people. It's not just for the Jews anymore. And so he goes on to say, this, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every, every way. Here, the, here's a key point right here. So I think we read that and we think, okay, I'm going to pray for the new president. I'm going to pray for um, you know, our senators. I'm going to pray for our, even the mayor of our city, uh, for, for our officials that govern over us, so that I can live a peaceful life, just me and Jesus. I think that's how we approach it a lot of times. But the context of this, this Scripture, this passage right here, is for uh, the mission of God to permeate the world. That's why we pray for peace. That's why we pray for peace. is so that we can effectively share the Gospel to the world. So think about the, the, the early church. You know, The Roman Empire was on the rise. It was at its prime. There was a season of reprieve from all of the, the battle and things like that that we call the Pax Romana. The Pax Romana means Roman peace. It's the time when the Roman Empire was at its, its most peaceful season and there were these roads that were paved all over the Roman Empire and it made it very easy for the Gospel to go forth with ease. We're praying for the same type of thing here that, that the... You know, while it would be great for our officials to come to faith in Christ, what we're praying for even more so than that is that the gospel would not be hindered by the leadership of our country. 
So we pray and we ask God to to give us leaders that will enable the Gospel to go forth with ease and that God would be able to use us in light of that. Our prayer isn't merely to give us peace so we won't suffer. That's not what this passage is saying. Our prayer is to give us peace so that the Gospel can go forth, can permeate the world. Ravi, Ravi Zacharias says this in his book, The Grand Weaver. He says this, More than anything else, Prayer enables you to see your own heart and brings you into alignment with God's heart. Prayer is not a monologue in which we imagine ourselves to be communing with God. Rather, it's a dialogue through which God fashions your heart and makes His dream of you a reality. It is truly the treasured gift of the Christian that through direct answers and not so direct answers, The follower of Jesus begins to love God for who He is, not for what He may get out of them. And I think if we're honest, a lot of times our prayers are a little bit more about what we'll get out of God than for who He is and who we are in light of who He is. So Robbie says, you know, basically the will of God is something we discover as we walk with God. And so and so the aim for us is that our prayers would be more God-centered instead of us-centered. Now, I'm not saying we don't come to Him with our needs and our burdens, but we come to Him and we seek Him. Uh, Paul Miller has a helpful diagram that I want to show you. And I, I don't recommend very many books, but um, this book is called A Praying Life. It's by Paul Miller. It is a fantastic book. It's not going to give you a list of things on how to pray and, you know, it's going to give you a lifestyle of prayer. Um, and so if you're interested in that, what I'm quoting is out of this. But um, Paul Miller says this, I find that the closer my prayers are to the heart of God, the more powerfully and quickly they are answered. So, the closer we are to God, the, the more we pray His will. Now, Paul talks about, he talks, Paul Miller uses this example of, of how we jump in two different ditches when we pray a lot of times. So there's going to be a diagram on the screen. I'll share it with you quickly. Um, our temptation is to jump in one or two ditches when we pray. It's to jump into the, the, the pit of despair or the pit of demanding things from God. And he said there's kind of a middle road, which is good asking of God. So here's how it looks. When we jump in the despair pit, here's how we pray. I don't have the power. I'm, I, I, it's out of my control. It's kind of an Eeyore kind of prayer. Uh, we just, we just, we just in despair. Now, on the other side of the ditch, we say, "Hey, I'm, I have the power. I'm in control. God, here's what I want you to do for me." And while it's good to pray like that, the better way to pray is this: God has the power. God is in control. God, I trust you with my life. Now, in the despair kind of column, in the in the despair ditch, we see that the focus is on how the other person can't change. Now, in the demanding focus it's how the other person needs to change so there's an agenda behind it but when we ask in a good asking kind of path the focus is on God so I live in his presence with my disappointment and we see that God can handle our disappointment we bring it to him and I begin with my own need to change so it's kind of like on the in the sermon on the mount when when Jesus says that we need to remove the plank out of our own eye before we try to remove the speck out of another person's eye. He says our prayer life really helps us to do that. Because as we pray uh, with a God-centered focus, we begin to see that it's really us that needs to align to God's will instead of asking Him to align to ours. The role of prayer in despair says, 
you know, there's really no use in praying. I'm giving up. This is a last ditch effort. The role of prayer when we're demanding our prayers is this is just another weapon in my battle. But good asking says this that the role of prayer is central. Uh, I pray to a personal God, so I am simultaneously asking and surrendering. So prayer is less of an activity and more of a way of life. So with that being said, um, I wanted to give you uh, some tidbits on prayer, but this sermon is really not about prayer. This prayer is about this sermon's really about worship. Um, and the reason is is because um, the love of God, uh, more than anything else, more than prayer, more than evangelism and mission, are how the church participates uh, in seeing the worship of Jesus permeate the world. We want to see God worshipped in the world. That will change everything. And so that's why we pray to ask God to make that happen and to use us. And that's why we hold out the Gospel and trust His Spirit to bring people to life. Here's our prayer. Here's, here's what our prayer ought to look like. It's, it's what Jesus says in Matthew 9.36. When He saw the crowds, He had compassion for them. Now, compassion is more than just kind of a, a trite sorrow. It's this internal anguish as you look at it in the Greek language. He had compassion for them. And why did He have compassion? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is what it looks like when, when, when people in our world don't worship God. They're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And the heart of God is for us to enter into that, to speak the gospel, and for our lives, for our lives to, to be invitations for people to see and taste that Jesus is good. That's really what this sermon is about, is about worship. So let's look at number two here. God's heart is for the salvation of the lost. So, so how does why does he tell them to pray for all types of people? Verse three. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Verse 4, listen to this. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Let that set in. He desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. Jesus Christ, who gave Himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. God's desire is for all men to come into a relationship with Him. John Piper says this, missions, and when I say mission, here's what I mean. I don't mean like mission trip to a third world country. It could mean that. I think mission means more than this. It's the advancement of the Gospel. So, the advancement of the Gospel in your own heart, the advancement of the Gospel in your marriage, the advancement of the Gospel in Lawrenceville, the advancement of the Gospel in Honduras, in China, all over the world. The advancement of the Gospel. So mission, meaning the advancement of the Gospel, exists because worship doesn't. Mission exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Think about that. 
you and I will spend the rest of our lives in worship of God. And it won't be this worship where we have to pray to a God that we can't yet see, even though He's near to us. We'll be worshiping face-to-face with God. We'll be able to stand in His presence because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all unrighteousness and He's made us just like Himself. We'll be able to worship Him fully. So when Jesus comes and redeems His people, There'll be no need to pray anymore. There'll be no need to go and share the Gospel anymore because we will be with God all of the time. It'll be just like in the garden when Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the day with God. And they spoke to Him face to face. And they had this relationship. But until then, we hold out the Gospel. And and the desire of God is that all people would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, for, for those of you who don't know, our church holds to a, 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 a branch of theology called Reformed Theology. And I think that Reformed Theology get a little squirmy when they hear this verse. Because Reformed Theology says that God is sovereign in salvation. And so if God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, and... They don't, not all men are saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. What does that say about God? That's kind of the dilemma that we see. So I want to just quickly walk down this road and, and, and talk a little bit about the will of God and how that plays out for us. But before I do that, I want to read two more verses that reiterate uh, what uh, 1 Timothy 2 says. So John 3, 16 and 17, a verse that maybe many of you know, says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. So when you read this, you see that God loves the cosmos. He loves the world. He loves what He created. He loves it so much that He sent His only Son. He sent everything to redeem it. That's how much God loves the world. On the flip side of things, let's look at Ezekiel 33. Say to them as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? So what do we see from these few passages here? We see that God loves the world. And because God loves the world and we're in God because we're in Jesus, we ought to love the world as well. And I think a lot of times that kind of freaks us out, okay? So two ditches that we can jump in with this passage. We've been talking about ditch jumping this morning. So I'm going to tell you about two ditches we can jump in with this passage. One that we can say, uh, because God is sovereign and He doesn't lie, God is a universalist. We could jump in that ditch, okay? God desires all men to be saved, so that must mean that all men are ultimately going to be saved regardless of the fact if they repent and believe in Jesus or not. We could jump in that ditch. It's not the truth, but we could jump in that ditch. The second ditch is this, to say that God is not sovereign, meaning that He desires something that He cannot produce, which we also know cannot be true. To say, okay, God desires all men to be saved, um, and man, He just can't, can't make it happen. We could jump in that ditch as well. But I think the better thing for us to understand uh, is this. Um, When we read Scriptures like this, um, I think God is showing us something about His will uh, that is very important for us to understand. Um, I think that there, there are at least two types of God's will. Uh, there's the uh, revealed 
will, uh, also called the declared will sometimes. There's also the hidden will um, or the decreed will. And I want to define those for us just real quick. Um, so the declared will is this, what God has made known to us about Himself, His intentions and His heart for the world through His Word. So Second Timothy, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 2, um, verses 3-6, through six, declared will of God. God has made this known about Himself. And it is our job to walk this out as we're transformed into the image of Jesus. We live this out. We walk this out. We assume that, all, that, that God wants to save all people. I know that's kind of scary to think about as those that have a Reformed theology and hold high the sovereignty of God. The other side of this is the hidden or decreed will of God. Whatever comes to pass by the sovereign and guiding hand of God. I think we spend way too much time on the hidden things of God. We try to figure out the hidden things of God and we spend our lives trying to figure out things that God has never shown us. And we spend less time walking out and living out the things that God has made absolutely clear to us. So what is the will of God? That all people would come to a knowledge of Him. So we live like God wants to save absolutely every person. And we walk that out and we hold out the Gospel and we pray for even the hardest of hearts that are in our neighborhood, that are in our cities, that are in our families, and we ask for God to redeem them and to do a miraculous work because that is God's revealed will to us. Deuteronomy 29.29 sums up what I've just told you. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of his law. So what we see about this is that God wants to give you a burden for the world. Um, he wants to give you a burden for the lost people in your life. And He wants it to be a strong burden. We're going to look in the next point about that, but I want to read 2 Peter verse 3 uh, that talks about God's will in saving the lost. He says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness. But He is patient toward you. And here's an, another very similar statement here. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's the, that's the revealed will of God for us. Not wishing that any should perish, that all should reach repentance. So that's how we live our lives. Because we've seen that in His Word. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the Heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. That gives us a little bit of fear and trembling inside. That's what's at stake when we walk out the Gospel. That's what's at stake when we read these Scriptures. Not that it all depends on us, because it doesn't, but in another sense, it kind of does because God works through us. So we have to hold out the Gospel with our lives. Even when we don't feel like it. You know what i found is that sometimes my best evangelism is done on my worst days. Because God is pleased to show His power through weakness. You know what I'm saying? So even on your worst days, what's it look like for you to preach the Gospel to yourself and invite other people to see how God is redeeming you and saving you and cleansing you from all unrighteousness? The battle that's going on before our eyes is crazy. It's a, it's a crazy battle when we see people respond to the Gospel when we hold it out. Um, 
Think about this. God is taking dead people and bringing them to life. Now, but the issue with these dead people is that they think they're alive. So when someone comes to you and presents a message to you and says, hey, I know that you think you're like really having this fulfilling life, um, but it really leads to hell. I mean, how are you going to respond when you hear that? Initially, probably not very well. The Gospel's offensive, guys. It really is offensive. It's offensive because it diminishes our flesh. It kills it. And this is, so, so the thing that we've got to work on is make sure it's the gospel that's offensive and not us. You know what I'm saying? So, what's it look like to live that out, to walk that out? So, I don't want you to be discouraged when God doesn't seem to be saving people and answering your prayer like you think that He should, because He's working all things together for the good of those who love Him. So, I want to encourage you to walk that out. Now lastly, I want to talk about this burden that Paul speaks of in verse 7 here. He says, For this I was, in a, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So what's he saying there? Paul's saying, look, I'm, uh, I'm as Jewish as they get. I'm a Pharisee, bro. You know what I'm saying? I'm as Jewish as they come, and God has called me to a people that I know nothing about. Gentiles. But because God loves the world and desires all men to be saved, I was appointed a preacher of the Gospel to the Gentiles because God is expanding His kingdom. He's expanding His covenant to include all types of people as the Scriptures say. So He was called on this mission to extend grace to the world. I want to read from you. Uh, I want to I show you the, the burden that Paul has from Romans 9 for the lost world. Romans 9, 1-5, through he, he speaks about this burden that he has um, for the world. He says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race according to the flesh is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. So Paul's letting us into his heart. His heart for the Jewish people that do not acknowledge Jesus as Savior. And how does he describe it? He says, I wish that I was cut off from Jesus. That I didn't have salvation so other people could get it. I don't know that my burden is that strong for the lost people in my life. I'm just, just putting it out there for you. But I think he paints a picture of maybe what it ought to look like for us. And so the question is, why is the burden not very strong for us for the lost world? What's the, what's the diagnosis for what's going on in our hearts? Because I think all of us fall into apathy when it comes to holding out the Gospel. But it's one of the first things that Paul wants to remind the church in Ephesus as he writes to Timothy is that the burden for the lost always ought to be on the forefront of our minds. That this church, New City Church, is for all types of people in Lawrenceville. I was uh, reading a story about a missionary by the name of Hudson Taylor who uh, was a missionary to China. Um, he stayed in China for 51 years. He helped uh, 
I guess, deploy 800 missionaries to come to China. And throughout their ministry, they saw over 18,000 conversions. He tells this story uh, that I think gives light to maybe some of our dilemma. He tells a story like this. He says, you know, they were on a flat bottom fishing boat going down the river. And Hudson was with uh, some people that he was sharing the gospel with as they were going from point A to point B. And, um, and his friend falls over the side of the fishing boat, okay? Like he falls over the side. And Hudson, uh, you know, this guy, this guy is not yet a believer. Hudson has been sharing his life with him. He jumps overboard to try to save the guy, and he can't. And lo and behold, there comes a fishing boat right next to them that has nets and everything that could really help him out. And Hudson is in the water, you know, kind of treading water, talking to the people in the fishing boat right next to them, trying to get them to use the nets to help save his friend that's going under and drowning. And all they want to do is barter about how much money Hudson can give them to let him use the fishing nets to save his friend. And finally, Hudson says, you can have everything I've got. Just take it all. I don't care. Just let me use your nets. Let's get this. Let's, let's save my friend here. And by the time they had drugged the net, after they had spent time uh, in self-absorbed conversation about the financial matters, he b- brings his friend up and he's dead. He's dead because they were the, 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 the fishermen uh, were too absorbed with self-interest to let down the net. And I think this is our plague as well. I mean, it's obviously not as dramatic as that. But our plague is self-interest. It's why we don't hold out the Gospel. Um, <clears throat> some of my form, and I'll just share kind of my self-interest uh, absorptions with you. Uh, and maybe you can, maybe someone will translate with you, or maybe the Holy Spirit will bring something to mind for you as well. I can remember uh, one of my friends, Faisal, in my neighborhood, uh, sharing the gospel with him and uh, uh, really offending him uh, with the message. And we had shared life together uh, for hours upon hours at this point. And, uh, and like, I've just been a little skittish to approach him again because uh, I'm just a little afraid of how he'll respond. And, uh, and I don't want him to think that I'm baiting and switching him. So there's a little bit of my pride, a little bit of fear going on there. Um, what if I say something wrong? What if it doesn't come out right to my friend? Uh, what, if I, what if they stop wanting to hang out with me? Um, I don't feel like this is going anywhere, so I'm just going to pull the plug on this thing and move elsewhere. Uh, this is a waste of time. Um, this is a, do you know how much of a sacrifice this is for me to, to be away from my family, uh, to be with you, to share life with you? Um, and ultimately, there are times when I don't really care uh, enough about lost souls. And, and, um, and Jesus just really convicted me about that this week. Um, and I'm not saying that we never have motive when we share life with unbelievers, because we always have motive. Jesus had motive in coming to the world. Paul had motive in writing to Timothy. We have motive. We want the worship of Jesus to permeate the world. That's our greatest desire. Um, but having motive doesn't mean you bait and switch your friends. So, so kind of to close this up, I just want to give us maybe some next steps as we walk this out and, and seek to be a church that's rooted in maturing in how we see the Gospel advanced. Uh, the, first, the first next step is this. Is, is maybe pray. This week, uh, two weeks ago, my missional community prayed uh, for a neighbor of mine that had lost uh, his father. And I have been trying to connect with this neighbor for four years now. And my, 
my friends prayed that I'd be able to connect with him. This is, this is no lie. My neighbor comes up to me. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, sawing tile. I'm redoing my bathroom. I'm sawing tile out of my driveway, making all kinds of noise. I'm super messy. My neighbor comes up. I turn off the saw. And he starts just pouring his heart out to me. He starts just pouring his heart out. Talking about how, how his dad was a pastor and how he had really been burned by the church, but God's just doing something in his heart and he just wanted to talk to me about it. I mean, I've been trying to do this in my flesh for four years. My missional community prays. The guy comes to me. Maybe you pray and ask God to open those doors and bring people into your life. Or if you just have no desire to see people come to Jesus, maybe you pray against your hardened heart. I know it's tough to confront that. We pray and ask God to soften us. Soften us to those that do not know Him. Second thing is this, is to, to be present. Uh, Jeremiah 29 Four through seven uh, talks about how the Israelites are called to live in in exile in Babylon. I want to read this to you real quick because I think it's very helpful for us on how to live in the world and not be of the world. Uh, he says this: "Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into uh, from Jerusalem to Babylon." Here's how he tells them to live: build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. And this is key. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So what do we see about the heart of God? The heart of God is for His church to be very present and engaged where He's called us. Some of you are called to live in Lawrenceville. Some of you live in the Hamilton Mill area. Some of you live in Conyers. Some of you uh, live inside the perimeter. God has called you to seek the welfare of the place that you've been called to live. Because as we seek the welfare of our neighborhoods, of our families, of our communities, we find our own welfare. And so it's not us and Jesus in a huddle waiting for Jesus to return. We plant roots here. And we seek for God to move. And as we plant our roots down, God moves in our midst and He gives us opportunities to make Him known. And lastly this, listen. Learn to listen. Learn to listen more. Francis, Francis Schaeffer was once quoted saying, uh, saying this. Someone asked him if he had uh, an hour to share with an unbeliever, a not, not yet believing person, what he would say in that hour. And Francis Schaeffer responds this way. He said, if I had an hour, here's what I would do. I would spend 55 minutes listening. And then in the last five minutes, maybe I'd have something worth saying. Church, we've got to get better at listening for the fall in people's lives. What's it mean to listen for the fall in someone's life? It means to know them well enough to know their greatest burdens, to know uh, their greatest heartaches, so that you can show how Jesus is much better than what they've experienced. You can't do that unless you know someone. Listen for the fall in the lives of our neighbors. So to kind of wrap everything up, here's what I think God's called us to as a church. It's to pray so that our hearts can be aligned with the heart of God and that we can have a burden for the lost world around us. To pray so that our hearts will be aligned with God's heart. Because God loves the world. And He loves you. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Your Word uh, this morning. Um, 
You put us on the line. You call us ambassadors of Your Kingdom. And Lord, God, I pray against just despair. Uh, I pray against condemnation as we think about this. Um, but Father, would You would you encourage our hearts to hold out the Gospel um, so that others can taste and see how good You are? Would You melt our hearts by Your grace? Father, would You meet us this morning? There's chaos swirling around us. And we desperately need to be aligned with You. Align us with Your heart. Show us Your grace. Change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.